Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. How are you today? Fantastic. How are you? The other day, you sent me... I'm great, by the way. Uh The other day, you sent me a text message. I jokingly said something like, uh, well, you don't respect me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a joke. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. no possible way I could possibly think that yeah. about you. And you you text me like hours later. Betsy and I are watching TV, and you just go, "Hey, man, I just want you to know I respect you so much." It was a very uplifting text for you to send. Well, it's one of those things where it's like there's oftentimes things you think but don't say, and then yeah, it was like, and then I was you just regret like, not you know saying what? it. I'm gonna say it. I knew you were joking. Like yeah. I totally knew you were joking. I grabbed your face and made me look me in the eye when you said it, and did like the whole "It's not your fault, Robin Williams." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I knew yes. we were joking and everything. But then it, later, was, it was actually uncomfortable. I was like, <laughs> I, I was getting very close to your face, which made me laugh because I knew you you wouldn't open your eyes. No. But it's one of those things where all of a sudden it hit me. It's like, you know what? I know I think this, but I don't say it. So I'm gonna say it. I'm just going to say it. I say that because I think at StoryBrand, and we've created a kind of culture mm-hmm. that keeps people from falling apart a little bit. I don't know how we've done it or why we've done it, but this all sounds like bragging. <laughs> I know. I don't know what it is, yeah. but there's something about our culture that we're looking out for people. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do like scholarships. If you want to go to a week-long therapy thing that we believe in, yeah. we'll pay for it and we'll pay your wages. Go. Do it. Make it happen. There's ego checks all around. I don't fully understand it, but then I go to some environments with some leaders and I just see chaos. Yeah. I just think to myself, do you guys know there's just an unbelievably better way to live? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And none of us would fit there. We'd all die. Yeah. We'd all shrivel up and die if we did that. Well, I think one of the reasons that our culture exists, and as I say this, I'm very self-conscious about the fact it just feels like we're bragging. But I mean it. I mean, I think you can create a a company culture that is very healthy. And I wish I knew some more of the dynamics of that. But one of the reasons I think our culture is healthy is because a guy named Al Andrews. Yeah. And there's just a community that we run in in Nashville. And probably everybody on staff kind of runs in their own little separate thing. But they all kind of spiderweb intersect with this guy, Al Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) And if if you've lived in Nashville for very long, you probably have heard of him at least. He's a therapist. He runs an organization called Porter's Call. And his therapy, his hour-long therapy sessions, I think there's multiple counselors in his, whatever that is, a business or whatever, an hour-long therapy session costs $5. Yeah. And it's underwritten by music labels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like the main reason they underwrite this whole organization is because most of his clients are sort of celebrity singers. Yeah. They're front men and bands. They're women who have, you know, millions of followers on Twitter or whatever. Yep. And they have a unique set of issues. And Al is somebody who I think he's zero at the bone. He keeps you from lying to yourself if you know him well enough. Mm -hmm. And he's a deep encourager. And that's influenced our whole organization. That basically you've got to take care of people's hearts and you've got to take care of your own heart. I would say I can name every person on staff that's had like a deep conversation with him that has been impactful. Yeah, we've actually had some of those at the office. Yeah. Where Al will come at night after yeah. hours. And yeah, we'll just we'll sit, sit around for a the fire. Yeah, we'll sit around with a glass of wine and yeah. just have these really long conversations. <laughs> yeah. and he's just a wonderful guy. And, you know, I feel like our listeners 
are kind of family. You know, yeah, they've, yeah. they've been uh, grafted in yeah. to this, yeah. this story <laughs> brand family. Yeah, I think we're really healthy and really dysfunctional we at the same are time. Family. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. All you have to put up with our flaws. Brothers, and me. That's right. And so <laughs> it's time to introduce the rest of the family to Al Andrews. Yeah, in a new way because he was introduced through the Christmas story. But that's this right. Is like which the, is not yeah. his, that's no, not the, yeah the that's cynical, not remotely like, what he yeah. does. Uh, <laughs> he's actually an incredibly accomplished therapist. He's a wonderful guy and. What I really wanted to do was say, hey, Al, you know, we've got a bunch of influencers listening to this podcast, a bunch mm-hmm. of people who, you know, a lot of people depend on them for wages and yeah. for emotional health. I mean, yeah. if you're a boss and you show up in a bad mood every day, you're affecting people's <laughs> yeah, lives. Yeah. And, oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> and I, I, I respect wanted to, you. <laughs> wanted to say, look, Al, you know, what are some things that these folks can do to be healthy themselves? Because that health translates down and affects an entire culture. Yeah. And, you know, it was just a side conversation. And he said, there are actually 10. <laughs> he started listening to them off, and they just sounded magical. Yeah. And I said, stop talking. Yeah. We actually just need to sit down and record this. And so uh, we brought some recording equipment over to Al and sat down and actually had this conversation. And uh, I think it's one of the best conversations we've had on the podcast. Yeah, and we do a lot of practical, and I think this is very practical in the sense that we do a lot of like business practicality, and this is really about the heart. It's going to be, yeah, it probably might be a little bit convicting for folks, yeah. but, but also very freeing. Yeah. Because it's super practical stuff. Anyway, we're not going to tease this anymore. Yeah. We're not selling it to you. You yeah. can actually just yeah. have it for free. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, here's my conversation with Al Andrews. Al Andrews, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here, Don. All right, I know JJ and I, in the intro, we tried to explain a little bit about what Porter's Call is and who you are and what you do and how integrated you are into our community and how important you are to us, oh, thank keeping you. us sane. And you won't have heard the intro, but you know, we talked about how our culture at StoryBrand is influenced by you, you know, just the, the vulnerability that exists on oh. staff and those kinds of things. And we're just so thankful for that. But I want everybody else to know, what do you do? What is Porter's Call? And who do you help? Porter's Call is a service of counsel and support for recording artists. It may, just mainly recording artists, just right? Just only recording only. artists, not no musicians, recording artists. I know there's a little difference. What's the difference? difference? Yeah. The difference is a recording artist is someone who is either signed or gotcha. lives a life like they're signed and goes out and tours and tours their own music. So a musician might be somebody that plays for them or that plays music here in town, but a recording artist is somebody that's out there touring their own music. And most of these folks, they're not all super famous, but it's unique in the sense that they're trying to be the person in the middle and they're selling themselves and their name. And yeah. it's a unique kind of thing. It is a unique kind of thing with unique struggles that come with it. I mean, I think everybody really struggles with the same thing. Yeah. But with artists, it's kind of up to 11, as Spinal Tap says. <laughs> it's just turned up to 11 because they're doing it in front of people and people are watching them. And therefore, there's a persona that they have to play up to. And then there's the reality that we all know, the difference between who people think we are and who we know we are. Right. And sometimes that place gets lost. And so we provide a place for them to come and talk about their life, their marriage, their relationships, their addictions or whatever. And it's confidential. We don't have a dog in the hunt and it's free. So have you noticed a correlation between that type of person and some other people in business or in politics or in, do you see some similar acting and yeah, I do. I think I see a correlation between any kind of celebrity, 
but public a celebrity persona can, kind of a per- public persona it could be a head pastor of a big church. It could be a leader of an organization, somebody that people think certain things about because of their position and therefore have on a unique kind of pedestal. I remember it's been a few years now, but I was actually talking to a friend who's a therapist and recently she was asking me how I was doing and something had come up. I think it was Twitter or something like that. I had said something and was just getting vehemently attacked. Mm. I mean, people were really just saying pretty vicious yeah. things, which happens to, <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I was back in junior high. You know? it hurts your <laughs> it's feelings. what everybody has to deal with in junior high, but as adults, we, we, it only happens if you, you know, right. have some, right. <laughs> so, I don't want to pretend I'm the victim here. Every junior high kid is dealing with this, yeah. but, but you know, people are just vehemently, whatever. Yeah. And I kind of had a little bit of a, which is not my nature. I kind of had this like, this is not fair. And, you know, sure. and she just kind of looked at me and said, but you know, you're a well-known person. That's what you get. And I thought, well, I know, but I just don't like it. And she goes, but that's the, you know, you have this huge upside. Mm-hmm. And what I realized that even she was never going to get was the upside wasn't big enough to make you not feel... The downside. Well, not feel yeah. that, take that personal. Yeah. You know, exactly. and so, and then I realized, oh, I'm not allowed to complain about this to anybody. Right. Except for somebody who would actually get it or who would be willing to actually play victim with me for a second. (laughs) Maybe that's that's the, and so I, that's a great point. It's interesting that you have sort of a compassion for that where everybody else would say, wait a second, you're rich and everyone wants to date you and you're on the cover of a magazine. And so we get to just rip you apart. That's the game. That is the game. And that's where the struggle comes. Yeah. Is that what do I do when everybody thinks certain things about me, but may or may not be true. They may or not be true. And I know something that they don't know. And, I can't say that. Mm. And so... And you almost have to play this PR game of like, my PR game is not I'm going to tell the truth because nobody would even understand that. It's what can I say or what sort of persona can I play or should I be humble here and apologize or should I do this? But it's all playing the public. Right. I don't go to a concert... To hear somebody say, you know, I've had a really bad day. And, you know, I, go, I want to go I don't and either. feel and as amazing. Much as I, yeah, as much as I'm criticizing that, I'm like, don't do that at my conference. I paid 50 I bucks for the seat. <laughs> exactly. And then I really feel for them because I know, oh, they have had a bad day, right. but they can't do it. And sometimes they just take that home and we just offer a place. I have a great team and we offer a place for people to come and be themselves and be able to say what they need to say and deal with what they need to deal with. I would imagine that there's a lot of people, I think that people tend to listen to this podcast are leading. I think they're creating things. I think they're, a lot of them are providing jobs and a buddy of mine years ago, when I first started a little company, I was saying something about some tension. He said, Don, you have to understand nobody likes the boss. Oh gosh. (laughs) You know, nobody likes him. And it was like, I don't think that's so true. It depends on the kind of boss it is. But you know, it's like you get a lot of that. And so I, and I remember visiting, uh, the White House years ago in the Bush administration, somebody said, you just wouldn't believe the burden that that man, the office itself carries on its shoulders. And somebody that they've never met in some department that's seven levels down screws up. And the president stands up and says, I take full responsibility. Yes. That is just a nightmare of a job. Oh, I can't imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got 10 things that you've come back to over and over Mm -hmm. as sort of paradigm shifts, ways to sort of stay sane, ways to keep grounded if you are somebody who is becoming or is influential and Mm -hmm. you got a lot of weight on your shoulders. Yeah. And I just think they're wonderful. And I'd, I'd like to go through them just for practical advice for our audience, if that's sure, okay with you. Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, you say create your own central park. What do you mean by that? Create your own central park. Let's talk about leaders. They're busy people. Their lives are full. 
There's not a second. You hear the complaints all the time. I just don't have time to do everything. I'm in charge of everything. And, don't, and then I have to go home and do that. And it gets really big. And so um, I thought one day about the time my family went to New York City. And every time mm-hmm. I go to New York City, I'm overwhelmed by the size of Central Park. And I thought one time, I looked at this map and I thought, can you believe that way back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, somebody had the forethought to build a park that big? Wow, yeah. But if you think it wouldn't it, have made a lot of sense at that time. It, to me, it didn't. But that huge, and they had the fortune to plant those trees that are now huge to build it. That, and they built it because they knew that without space in a city that was going to be that large, without that space, the city would implode. Mm. And if you think about it, if somebody built over Central Park right now, I really believe the city would implode because they know they need it the would be space. A, it would be a dead city. And so I, I find that many leaders are living life like a New Yorker without Central Park. There's no space. The other forethought is they built it bigger than the city needed it at the time. It actually right. is appropriate for the city is not. And they right. had the forethought to know how big this thing was going to get. Right. Which is interesting because a lot of people would build space for how busy their life is now, but not how busy it's going to be. Yeah. And so when I talk to leaders or whoever, I find that their lives don't have space. And so my challenge is to myself as well is create space. You have to start building a central park that means you need to tear some things down, little by little. Give me an example. A little, like, I realize you can't talk about your actual patients. But well, like, you know, did you well, say, "Hey, quit the band" or no. "Stop the side <laughs> it, gig"? It, or, it, it may be uh, saying no to some things that you say yes to. You know, hey, you want to come out to dinner tonight? Well, no, I can't. Right. Or you can almost pick a few things that you do that you do out of obligation. You do because you're codependent or whatever. That sometimes you just need to say no to. I don't um, want to go off on a rabbit trail here. Yeah. But there, but I know hundreds of people are pulling their car over right now saying, but how do you do that without yeah. feeling like a jerk? And how do you create that space without yeah. hurting people's feelings? And, you know, those basic practical questions. Well, you know, you do hurt people's feelings. <laughs> that, that's how you do it. Well, you, you know, know I was sent to a codependency anonymous meeting once by my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, and everybody there couldn't say no. Um, and it was amazing how sometimes people's, feelings aren't there hurt. You can't go to dinner? Okay, well, I'll ask somebody else. I think we make up that people's feelings are going to be hurt a lot more than they are. Wow. I really do. That sometimes yeah. you go, I'm sorry, I just can't go. I can't go. But create a little space, little by little, and you'll find that your space will become a little bigger. Is Central Park a tangible thing? Like it's, I go to the movies or I go for long walks with the dog or we it can have, be a, both. We have it, a card night every week? It can be both. Home? It can be both. Just know that you have to be intentional to create it or that space will fill up with necessary things. Yeah. Quotes around necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little bit of guilt in my life about, you know, having not let go of some relationships, but, you know, just not keeping in touch sometimes with people because life sort of moves on. And, yeah. and yet I think part of that is about, you would say it's not necessarily a bad thing. You don't have to no, keep in touch I, with all your friends from elementary school. No, <laughs> no, I don't think you can. I, I think there are cycles in relationships often and it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. okay. Yeah. Not to be rude or anything. You can no. talk to them and enjoy the conversation. Exactly. All right. Number two, bridge the distance. And this is between your image and your true self. Yeah. Bridge the distance is that, Everybody in leadership has people that work for them or around them that have an image of who they think they are. 
Hmm. You know, oh, people, must, other people think uh, other this people about think you. this about you. They think, oh, you're amazing. You're the most organized person. You just must be so amazing. And, and you, you know that when you speak, you're at your best. Hmm. And everybody hears you at your best. You right. go to a sermon, and they're amazing. Or you see an actress on the stage, and they're amazing. And you just think that they're like that, right? Yeah. You know, like yeah. Donald Miller must be just amazing. Don't talk to my wife, or you know, right? He must be amazing. And there is that distance, whether you want it to be or not. Like you were talking earlier, that yeah. people know who you are, and they know you, and they see you at your best. And when I say bridge the distance, I mean. I see you do this. You're a real guy, and you let people know sometimes what you're thinking and what you're feeling in the moment. And I just think it's important to have moments, whether it's in your public persona or whether it's in your private life, where you go, I just want you to know who I really am. I really do want you to know that I have insecurities, and I want you to know that this hurts my feelings or something, so that the more you try to live up to the persona, that other people believe that the more um, that would be exhausting. It is exhausting yeah. for people, and a lot of people do it. Yeah. And I go, you don't have to. You don't yeah. have to. You can say, yes, I, I am a good leader. I remember seeing an interview one time with Norman Schwarzkopf. Okay, he's great. I Isn't forgot about Storm and Norm. A lot Norm. of people, you might <laughs> yeah. have to look him up. <laughs> he was listening to this. The uh, but, but Kuwait, he's, right? He says, he yeah, Kuwait. he Desert said. Storm. I can lead a country, I can lead men into battle, I can win wars. But when I go home to my wife and my teenage daughter, I don't know what to do. Oh my gosh. I heard that interview, it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's and mo- it was, that's it was a great. lot of us. You know, that was been... bridging the distance. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm sure he well, must for be him amazing even at home. to say that. Yeah. No wonder he was like the heartthrob of every 60-year-old <laughs> exactly. woman in America. They're like, oh, I love Norman. <laughs> I love Norman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Tim's here. He's our producer and the COO of the company. And I can't remember, Tim, you'd have to remind me, you were, you were going to meet a golfer, some famous golfer. And you're like, I was like, I don't know what to say. And I said, whatever you say, don't tell him you're a fan. Yeah. Because if anybody comes to me and says, I'm such a huge fan, there's something that clicks in my brain that says, I can never disappoint you. Right. And so I never really want you to see, you know, me in my pajamas or right. me, me with bad breath because I could just never disappoint you. Yeah. But if they come up and say, hey, man, I read some of your books, really loved them, enjoyed them. And, uh, yeah. you know, we have something in common. We both actually like lawn work, you know, and I'm like, yeah. oh, what kind of, you know, grass do you grow? Whatever. We're friends. Exactly. But as soon as you say, I'm a huge fan, I don't know what it is. It sounds so rude, but it's like, oh, I never want to disappoint you. Right. And therefore, we're not going to show you. We're not going to bridge the distance. I'm going to keep where you think I am. And that's just awful. And it's hard (laughs) and unnecessary. (laughs) Three is really fascinating. And I'm a big fan of this. It won't make sense. I did this when I was young. I, I need to do more of it because I wanted to be a writer. But you actually said, read poetry. I know. And I thought... That's probably not going to be in a lot of leadership books. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that there are people listening right now that are thinking about throwing this off. Fast forward, uh, skip 15 seconds, skip 15 (laughs) seconds, skip 15 seconds. Until until they're talking about something. Yes, I did put read poetry. And I got this from my wife, who's just this poetry genius. She not only writes it, but she just has, Mm -hmm. she collects poems like people collect other things. And I, I put that in there because I think... A leader, his mind is filled with words, it's filled with, with things that are coming at him all the time, and poetry is an economy of words. Right. Just the words that are necessary, everything else is taken out, and it's aimed toward the heart. 
And if there's anything a leader needs, it's moving toward the heart because he's got the other stuff covered or she's got the other stuff covered. But the heart is where we need to go. And But I think people have this aversion toward poetry because they go, I just don't understand it or something. But we can help you with that by telling you what kind of books. But but I think it's just something that goes to the heart. It's short, it's sweet, and it may be another one of those Central Park things. It slows your life down just a little bit. It does. makes you see things you weren't seeing before. Yeah. In fact, I brought one just to prove it. I would love it. Yeah. Okay, so I brought a poem by Mary Oliver, who I believe is in her 80s now. She's one of my favorite poets. No matter what age you are, just imagine a very wise older woman sitting you down and saying this to you. And this is one of her poems called West Wind 2. You are young, so you know everything. You leap into the boat and start rowing, but listen to me. Without fanfare, without embarrassment, without any doubt, I talk directly to your soul. Listen to me. Lift the oars from the water, let your arms rest and your heart and your heart's little intelligence and listen to me. There is life without love. It is not worth a bent penny or a scuffed shoe. It is not worth the body of a dead dog nine days unburied. When you hear a mile away and still out of sight, the churn of the water as it begins to swirl and roil, fretting about the sharp rocks, when you hear that unmistakable pounding, when you feel that mist on your mouth and sense the embattlement, the long falls plunging and steaming, then row, row for your life toward it. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. (laughs) And you could just sit with that for a long time going, I want to love better, but I also want to be wild and courageous. Right. Yeah. But love comes first. Yeah. And not distracted and just, yeah. you know, what matters. And rode toward the falls. I used to walk around with poems in my pockets and I miss those days. I'll bring you some new ones. Yeah, you should. <laughs> okay. I'll be back with more of my interview with Al Andrews in just a moment. Welcome to another segment of Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan in her Wonder Woman pose. Hi, Kula. How are you? Hey, Don. What is today's marketing myth? Today's myth is this. People read websites. Of course they read websites. No, they don't. There's words on websites. They read them. No, they don't. I don't know where you're going with this. This one I might actually disagree with you on. (laughs) They have to read websites. (laughs) Let me tell you where I'm going with this, Don. People actually don't read websites. They scan them. Think about how many people are only looking at your website from their mobile device. That's right. Raise your hand if they're actually sitting there reading all those paragraphs that you've written. goodness. No hands going up in the audience right now. I never thought about that. They scan. They do scan. So what does this mean? How do we design our websites differently? Because people scan them and they don't actually read them. Well, the first thing that you need to do is cut the amount of copy on your website in half. Just cut it in half. Because it's kind of intimidating when you see all this text on a website. You just want to... It is intimidating. Take that copy and throw it in an email campaign. It doesn't need to be on your website because no one is reading it. The next thing you should do is if you have sections on your website, include bold headers so that the customer knows what that section is about without actually having to dive in and read all the sentences. Another thing you can do is use graphics, icons, or bullet points to communicate visually as opposed to using actual words on your website. Yeah, you can cut your words so much. We usually do that. Even if we design a website, we usually 
you know, don't use a lot of words to begin with. And then we have those war room days. You've been a part of them. We mm-hmm. put it up on the big giant television. We just start slashing words, making it more visually interesting. If you go to any of our websites, storybrand.com, storybrand.com slash guide, storybrand.com slash online, you can see how few words we use. And yet our websites work really well. It's because we understand people are scanning them right. and not reading them. Here's a challenge for our listeners. Go home, look at your website, and try to cut out 40% of the text tonight and see what happens Ooh. in the next two weeks. It's only going to get better. I truly believe that. Well, you know Kyle Schultz, he cut 90% of the text off his website and he saw like a quadruple, quadruple his, yep. his revenue because nobody was reading all that text. They were That's getting right. bogged down. Well, if you want to know more about how to clean up your website so it actually works, Attend one of our live workshops in Nashville, Tennessee. Just go to storybrand.com and register for our workshop today. We would love to see you. We actually put your website up on a giant screen and we pick it apart. I know it's kind of intimidating, but it's actually kind of fun. It's super fun. We're very easy on you, but we actually (laughs) say, hey, cut this text, put this button here, move this image over here. This part is actually really confusing. We think if you do this, people will really understand why they need your product. People make those changes and they see dramatic revenue increases way, way more than what you actually paid to get here and attend the workshop. So sign up at storybrand.com. We'd love to see you in Nashville. Also, if you want to read the book first, the book is coming out in a week. My new book, Building a Story Brand, How to Clarify Your Message So Customers Listen. Just go to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. Buy the book today and forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com. That's bonus at storybrand.com. I'll send you $148 worth of bonuses. That's two lectures, one audio lecture, one video lecture. You'll get those immediately as soon as you forward me your receipt. Buy the book, Building a Story Brand, and forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com. Number four, sometimes decline the perks. Okay. The more power that you have, Uh the more notoriety that you have, the more perks you get. Like routinely, I will call to get concert tickets, let's say to the Ryman here in Nashville. And routinely, I'm late. And they You're late s- to the concert? I'm, no, I'm late to the tickets. Oh, gotcha. And they yep, go, yep. I am sorry, there are no tickets available. But the more power I have, the more chances I have to get tickets, not only tickets to that show, but in the front row balcony. And I can get tickets. Yeah. Because um, you know the artist or you know the oh, folks yeah, at the Yeah, I mean, not me, but, but if I'm powerful, I can get tickets. Oh, gosh. Gotcha. I can't get tickets. I was about to say, they're, they're your, <laughs> no, your, your, your yeah. patients on yeah. the stage. I don't, I don't ask for tickets. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying leaders... You've never interrupted a right, crying right? session saying, I don't hey, wanna, can I get tickets? <laughs> <laughs> it would kind of get in the way, wouldn't it? Um, but powerful people get perks. Right. They get perks, which is fine, but it can lead to entitlement. Like, I, I expect perks. I expect the good seat. I remember going yeah, to a drive-in, you know one, I am drive-in of. little burger place one time, and some celebrity drove in, and I heard the person say, "Ah, no charge." I'm going, "That's not fair. I had to pay three dollars." But I think sometimes, just for your own health, it's good not to take the perks that are offered. I know that sounds strange, but just to go, "Thank you, but no thanks," just yeah. because it keeps you humble. I like that. Thanks. Yeah, that's a. Uh... Hard to live by. I know. I know. Well, I wouldn't know because I don't, I don't get a lot of perks. That's right. but, but but that's hard to live by because I don't get very many. I want my yeah, little perks. Well, if you don't get many, <laughs> if you don't get many, you can take them. But the more perks you're offered, sometimes just to say no. Uh, I know somebody that's given perks, but they give the perks to their team. 
now and then. Yeah. And so the nice room goes to somebody that then usually get the nice room. Yeah. Or something like that. I remember once I feeling guilty now because Tim and I were uh, flying somewhere and I got upgraded to first class and I actually sat in the first class seat and I texted him and said, there's some golfer next to me named Phil Mickelson who won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. But then okay. we flew back and, and Betsy and I had to sit in the back and oh no, it was you and Betsy, I think in first class and I was, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, half and half, half you, and half, you have 50%, yeah, 50% of, the <laughs> of the perks. I'm not saying give them up. And if, you know, if I ever get famous, I'm going to take a lot of perks. I should say Tim would never give up that seat right. for me. I just got <laughs> a million years. Okay. Five. Share your platform. Yeah. And what that means is the platform that you have is plenty big for lots of people. Whether you're an artist, whether you're a speaker, whatever, often people are very protective of their platform. They don't let other people come on it. They don't let other people share it. But I just encourage people to invite people in. Hmm. to invite people, whether it's up on stage with them or whether it's to come in and do a little guest spot or something like that. But share yeah. your platform because whether it's to a younger generation or somebody else, it's a way of giving back. It's a way to promote generosity and it's a way to deal with your possessiveness. Hmm. Like this is mine and nobody can have it. I remember one time you invited me up to do something in one of your seminars and I was way back. I'd written a book and you shared your platform. And it was a great experience for me because I didn't have one. And that meant the world. And I think when you have a platform to let people come up on it and be a part of it is just a generous thing and a good practice. That's beautiful. Actually, we built an elevator. Remember that? When you yeah, came up and did the thing, we sold a bunch of books. And we built an elevator for yeah. a local mission. They yeah, a we did. Freight elevator. Yeah, we raised fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, awesome. It's amazing. All right, know your story, or your story will live you. Yes. Know your story. You know, we all know people who are just angry people. Mm. You know, you know mm -hmm. people who just, they're just angry all the time. Yeah. And I go, they have a story and there's a reason they're angry all the time. And if they don't know that story, if they don't know their own narrative, their own history, their story will live them. In other words, it's going to push them forward like a wave, and they're not sure why they're going in that direction. Do you mean kind of control your story a little bit, know who you are, know where it's going? You know, I'm obviously big on counseling. I've gone to counseling, still do, and on occasion. And I believe that the help that I've gotten from counseling has been, Al, you have a story that started with chapter one, and mm -hmm. now I'm on, on chapter 63 now if every year as a chapter. And there's some significant things that happened in chapter 6 and chapter 8 that I didn't know. I didn't even remember until I was in my early 30s. And then I began looking at my story as if I were a novel. It has a beginning. There are things that happened that influence. I was living this novel out, but there were some chapters that were missing. And it was motivating my life. It was sending me in a direction because of those things that happened. And when I understood what was going on, when I understood what happened in those missing chapters, my life began to change and I began yeah. to make some new decisions. Yeah. So, yeah, know your story or your story will live you. Just being aware of it. Just being aware of it is the... Um, not live in constant reaction. Yeah, it's the beginning of change. There is a dance, I think, when you're writing a, a novel or a book or something or a screenplay... 
where you're sort of playing with creativity, but you're also not letting these rabbit trails go on. You've got to bring the story back toward yeah. some sort of meaningful scene at the end. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I love that. Be sent out and welcomed home. Yeah. Most leaders that I know end up traveling a lot. They just mm-hmm. do. It's yeah. for their job. They travel a lot. They come home. And I was just thinking, what does it mean to have a few good friends know every time you go out and when you're coming back hmm. so that they can just say, goodbye, Don. Yeah. I hope you have a good trip. Not your team, but some buddies, some people in the neighborhood. Me, for instance. You could tell me. Yeah. To say, Don, have a great trip. Anything you need while you're gone. And then... Psychologically, what does that do? I mean, you're talking about other than your wife and... Yeah, yeah, a buddy. Just a buddy. Psychologically, I think that means I'm a part of a community. And I've got your back back Somebody has my back at home. And if my wife needs something, she can call them. Right. And you have good friends that do that. But I think it just says I'm a part of a larger family and somebody's saying goodbye to me. I don't know what it means, but I just... I just yeah. feel it. Yeah. But but in the same way, welcome home. Somebody's calling me and said, how's your trip? Yeah. Glad you're back. It's probably something I can't talk much about because I don't know much about it, but I just feel it. I feel like I want somebody to say goodbye to me, a buddy, and I want somebody to welcome me home too. That's um, interesting. I never thought about this, but some of the best conversations I've had with friends are when... They're on the road, and I know they're on the road, so I just call to check in. And I don't do this very often. I'm, I'm sure. not that altruistic of a person, but occasionally. And there are always these rich, wonderful conversations that, quite honestly, we're just together six days ago yeah. at, you know, at yeah. the restaurant or whatever. But because they're gone, it, you just it totally made sense of that. Yeah. because like Somebody you, you, from home right. is saying, hey, you have a place. Yeah. You have people. I know yeah. you're out somewhere, but you have a place. Yeah, because people. we're all homesick when we're away, even if we don't admit it. All right, number eight, and I'll repeat these in a little while, but number eight is get help. Yeah. It's pretty basic, Don. It's the more independent you become, the more you lead, the more powerful you become, the more you don't ask for help. Hmm. And it's again, it's back to that perception thing. They must have it together, that everything's going fine. And very simple, just get help, ask for help whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a therapist, but don't think you have to do it on your own. You need help. You need somebody else. And we all know people who have crashed. We all know leaders who have crashed. It happens every day. And almost every one of those people that we know hasn't reached out for help when they needed it for whatever reason. They just haven't asked for help. What do you say to the person who they just heard that and they know they need to do it, but they're sensing there's just too much at stake right now, or I don't want to lose respect with this person who I would actually call for help. You know, I'll figure this out and get through this on my own and right the ship here. Can you just say something to that person? Yeah, I would say you're wrong. It's what you're 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 wrong wrong. in thinking that. You can right the ship and that that person will disrespect me. If there is a person that disrespects you because you tell them the truth and you reach out for help, they need to not be your friend. Yeah. And you'll run into those. Yeah. But I would say a 99% chance that person would feel honored that you brought them into your trust Mm -hmm. and they'll help you. But I just don't know many of us that can right our own ship. We Mm. just can't. We need help pumping the water out or 
patching the hole, but with a friend, somebody to lean on. Real strength wins in the end. Absolutely. We're not designed to get there by ourselves. We aren't. You just can't carry that kind of weight. So as an Enneagram three, right? I'm like, yeah, but how how do we do that and win? (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. All the threes just went, yeah, yeah. How do you win? So I actually keep reminding myself, real strength wins. Real strength wins. I'm an Enneagram two, and I just want to help you with this. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make it good in that. Yeah, we would. All right, number nine, walk behind. Okay, I totally stole this one from my friends at Thistle Farms, which is this wonderful place here in Nashville that helps women, trafficked women, get off the street and um, have a new life. And they have rules that they live by, about 20 rules that are just beautiful. And this one just stood out to me when I read their rules, and it just says, walk behind. And they have no explanation for it. When they list it, they just go walk behind. And I think the picture that it gives is that we just don't need to push to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to always walk in front of the line. And leaders are often pushed or escorted to the front of the line, metaphorically or physically. And sometimes it's just okay to let other people walk in front and you walk behind. It gives you a better perspective. It gives you a better view and it lets you breathe. Elaborate on the word sometimes. Sometimes it's important to walk behind. Because I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of people going, hey man, if I walk behind, this thing isn't going to get done. This company's mm-hmm. going to go down. This, mm-hmm. you know, What do you mean sometimes? Well, when, when is it appropriate to say, hey, you know, somebody's got to provide direction here. Most everybody listening to this is in some kind of leadership. Mm-hmm. Is it when we're out of our context of leadership that we just say, hey, this is not my context of leadership. I'm going to follow Mm-hmm. in this context. Yeah, and I think sometimes even in the context of leadership, even for a short period of time, to walk behind means to let those people that you've trained to do some leading, you step back and your perspective is a lot different when you mm-hmm. see people in front of you. Yeah, And sometimes, I'll use the word again, I think that's necessary just to see what other people are seeing. Yeah. But also just to promote humility. Yeah. You know, it's just so freeing too. Yeah, to think I of it. don't have to be the one at the point all of the time. Right, I just don't. All right, and finally, mm-hmm. number ten: gracious on the way up, gracious on the way down. This is one that an artist told me years ago. I had invited a group of young artists to come, and invited a seasoned, wonderful, and generous artist to come and share with them things. I wish I would have known when I was starting out. Mm-hmm. And it was probably the most significant two hours I've been involved in years wow. because they just spoke the truth, what they'd learned over 20 years and what these young green artists didn't know. And the person said, here's my mantra, gracious on the way up, gracious on the way down. And that is, as you begin this move up, and you could see all these little stars beginning to rise. She says, you need to be gracious to everyone you come in contact with. If you're in a coliseum, the person checking hats and coats, if you don't believe they are far more interesting than you are, then there's something wrong with you and you need to deal with it because they are. Hmm. And be gracious to them. Don't just assume that they're supposed to take your coat. Be gracious to them. 
talk with them, get to know them. And I've seen this person before engaged with a somebody bringing a tray of hors d'oeuvres by and famous people are all around them and they're talking with a person with a tray for 30 minutes. Be gracious on the way up because he said, there's going to be a time when you go down just because that's the way most life is. Yeah. There are a few people that keep going up and up and up and you go, well, God bless them. But most everybody has this arc and not as many people know about them as they used to. Mm-hmm. She said, be gracious to people on your way up and they will be gracious to you on your way down. And you'll find that grace will follow you. Yeah. And I just think that's true. I just believe that's true, that whatever you do, whatever your position is, be gracious to people all the time. Just be gracious to people. And there's going to be a day when you're going to really need and want grace and mercy yourself. There's something about seeing somebody who does something like that. I think I know who you're talking about. There's something inside of us that when we see somebody like that, we know that they know some kind of truth that we don't know. Absolutely. And it's really a beautiful thing. It's very Absolutely. hopeful. It is. So Absolutely. the real world is kind to everybody. Yeah. The real world believes we're all equal and we're all caught up in this lie. Absolutely. It's great preventative medicine against entitlement, too. It certainly is. It certainly is. I want to review these because they're so good now. If anybody's taking notes, they can actually write them down. Pause <laughs> your podcast for a second. But create your own central park. Bridge the distance. And again, that's between your image and your true self. Read poetry. Sometimes decline the perks, share your platform, know your story, be sent out and welcomed home, get help, walk behind, gracious on the way up, gracious on the way down. Al, this has been a wonderful conversation. Don, I've loved being with you. Will you write this into a book? I just don't know many people that are authors that could help me with it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one day somebody's probably already written it now. No. Uh, Who knows? Yeah, well, if you do, will you come back and talk about it? I certainly will. Thank you, Al. Thanks so much, Don. That guy is pure gold. Oh, seriously. I seriously want to melt him down and sell him as a necklace. <laughs> I want to wear him everywhere I go. <laughs> this guy like carry, Silence of the Lambs. Carry Al around my neck. <laughs> it takes us seven seconds to go from beauty to just <laughs> absolute mayhem. To descend to into just, creepiness. Yeah, what is wrong? We yeah. need to go get some time with Al one-on-one. <laughs> seriously. And have him figure this out. <laughs> Listen, next week, it's going to be awesome. going to be a We're fun actually going to have a conversation about why people are designed mm-hmm. to ignore you yeah. and what you can do about it. Yeah. You know like those people who just get a lot of attention mm-hmm. and those brands that get a lot of attention yeah. and brands that are just completely invisible and people who nobody's paying attention to? Yeah. There are reasons. Yep. And they come back to survival mechanisms in the human brain. Yeah. And anyway, I think it's a fascinating conversation. And I get to be a part of it. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe today so you know when next week's conversation is coming out. Speaking of next week, my book is coming out. October 10th. I know. Building a Story Brand is the name of the book. If you've ever struggled describing what you do or say, that struggle is costing you money. It's probably the main reason your business isn't growing. You need to come up with a couple sentences that you can say that makes everybody want to buy what you've got. That, in essence, is what my book is about. If you've ever just sat there and gone, ah, what I do is kind of complicated, it's hard to explain, Yeah, that's costing you a lot of money and it's costing you your company being able to grow. 
The book is called Building a Story Brand. It will teach you a seven-part framework that you can use to create better websites, email blasts, elevator pitches, keynote speeches. Mm -hmm. You just got to get your messaging system down, and this book is going to help you do it. If you pre-order the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com. Bonus at storybrand.com. It's hardly a pre-order at this point because it's coming out in just a few days. Email your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com. I'll send you a bonus. And that is an audio of a lecture I gave called The Secret to How Customers Think and a video of a lecture I gave called Why Customers Buy. It's $148 value. I believe the book is like 22 bucks. It's probably cheaper than that on Amazon. Yeah. Building a Story Brand is the name of the book by me, Donald Miller. Forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com and we will load you up. JJ, another great episode. Love it. Heartfelt. Yeah. I like these. Yeah. I like we go from like practical to practical to punch you in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cry. <laughs> Cry now. <laughs> Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>